Okay, so good morning, everyone. And um, I think there was a bit of a miscommunication um, about this trip um, because uh, usually everything is in Thai. So this is uh, we're having a kind of a special short program so that um, uh, you won't waste your your journey all this way. Um, we've got about half an hour, um, so. Um, Probably the best way I think to spend the time would be to have a discussion, and if anybody has any questions they'd like to ask um, about anything at all, then please go ahead. Anybody? Yes. My my normal day. Um, I'll give you two normal days because um, I'm these days um, I'm living alone, and um, my daily life is a little bit different from that of a forest monk living in a monastery. So for many years I was the abbot of um, a large training monastery in northeast Thailand called Wat Banananachat, which is a monastery established for non-Thai um, students of Ajahn Chah, um, our, our teacher who's passed away now. So in a, in a forest monastery, the day uh, usually begins at 3 a.m. Um, then uh, at 3 a.m. we get up and go to the main meditation hall and there's a period of chanting for about half an hour and then an hour's meditation. And then at five o'clock, uh, the monks uh, go to the main hall and prepare their um, their seats and clean the hall. And about 5.30, uh, the monks split up into groups and walk off into the local villages on arms round, which can take anything from an hour to an hour and a half. Come back and there's um, <clears throat> uh, some free time. And then at eight o'clock, um, the um, the daily meal is offered, so we only eat one me one meal a day, usually at eight eight thirty in the morning. Following the meal is a clean up period, and then uh, the monks uh, are free to return to their kutis, little cottages in the forest, um, where they um, can structure their own time during the middle of the day, um, walking meditation, sitting meditation, study. Some, some might be learning language or, um, for half an hour every day or whatever. And then there's um, a work period for an hour or so in the afternoon. And then we come together more informally for a cup of tea or coffee or fruit juice or something in the afternoon and have some discussion. and. And uh, after that, the monks go back for a shower and um, rest. And then seven o'clock, there'll be an evening meeting with meditation and chanting and some, often some instruction from the abbot, usually ending about nine, nine thirty. Um, then the monks can 
carry on meditating or, or um, go on rest whenever they see fit. So that's like a, a normal day. And um, <clears throat> uh, since I, I took early retirement and I'm living in solitude these days, I keep to that more or less. Um, but uh, I, <clears throat> I have um, more time to myself than I had when I was the abbot. I don't have uh, administration duties or teaching responsibilities every day like I did there. And I do some, uh, apart from my daily meditation schedule, I'm also doing some writing and some reading. Um, and I am um, an advisor to a number of schools, and there's a school here I'm, of which I'm a spiritual advisor, and, and once, once a week I go there to, um, <clears throat> to teach the pupils and the teachers. Yeah. That's a kind of daily life. May we ask for your story, like how you came over here and like how you came Yeah, I, um, I, I was brought up in England and in a kind of secular um, society, really. I never had any uh, kind of um, feeling for Christianity at all. I, 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 it didn't make sense to me from from childhood. And I grew up more or less thinking that um, religion meant believing in things. And um, I, I didn't feel that I needed like a, a block of beliefs or dogmas to, to guide me in my life. I wanted to make my own way. Um, but in my teenage years, um, I started to really question, you know, what am I doing this all for? You know, why in England you say, oh, why are you doing O levels? Oh, so you can do A levels. You do A levels, oh, so you can go to university. You know, university, so you can get a good job. What do you want a good job for? And then say, well, you know, don't think so much. You know, it's basically, you, you know, you're on this, you're on this uh, track now, and you just got to follow it and don't make a fuss and. Um, I wanted to to know well yeah what's what's really a good way to live is there even a meaningful question is it, is it possible to make a value judgment and say this kind of life is better than that kind of life if so what what would be your criteria and given the fact that there's so much injustice and pain and suffering in the world do you have a responsibility to do anything about that is there anything you can do about it? Um, what is, is there such a thing as good and bad? Or are these things that each culture, each society decides for itself and that you can't make any distinct or judgments? You know, there's no absolute standard. It's just what you agree upon. Is that a, that kind of postmodern kind of ideal? Is that, is that valid or not? Or are there any kind of universal principles? So I had so many. Um, doubts about life, really, and and uh, I started to read. I was I was always a um, voracious reader since I was small, and um, more or less completely neglected my curriculum at school and um, read a lot of psychology and philosophy. And um, eventually, I, I think before that, probably the the nearest I came to a spiritual 
educational teacher was Shakespeare. That was the person who, for me who was asking really important questions about life um, in a very compelling way. Um, eventually, I came across a book on Buddhism, and it just seemed obvious to me. And you know, not not kind of an exotic Asian philosophy, but just common sense, and just seemed to um, chime or resonate with with something that I'd felt within me for a long time. And and so the the basic kind of direction um, that I that I got from that was that. Um, Human beings um, don't understand themselves, and we're our own worst enemies. Um, and that the um, the root cause of all the unnecessary suffering in life um, is the human mind, and that it's only a um, an extensive and comprehensive training of the human mind that can deal with the root causes of human unnecessary suffering and, and, and uh, remove the causes why people create suffering for others. Um, and I felt that, that Buddhism had the most um, um, brilliant and um, comprehensive um, and effective means of training the human mind that had ever been um, discovered. And that was... So I, I felt that the training of the human mind leading to inner peace, wisdom, and compassion, and then sharing one's understanding of that path with others what was the path I wanted to follow in my life. I didn't know quite how to go about it yet, um, but I, um, you know, I was, this is mid-70s, so I'm, you know, on the tail end of the hippie period and they were the uh this was the hippies were the people that I'm peer group that I most identified with. And so um in those days India was like kind of the place to go. And and so already being very inspired by Buddhist and Indian philosophy and, and wanting to test myself and, and to for adventure and experience, um I set off on the overland trip to, to India. Um, and you're supposed to be like a gap year before university, but it wasn't very kind of honest. I think I didn't really expect I'd ever go to university. Um, and I spent uh, most of the time I hitchhiked, um, through Asia and, uh, through Iran and Afghanistan and India and went right around India and spent time in various, um, spiritual centers, both Hindu and Buddhist. And um, two years passed before I returned to England, by which time, uh, you know, I really felt I didn't want to do anything but commit myself to, to Buddhism. Um, and at that time, I, I um, registered for a meditation retreat in England. And the teacher of that retreat um, had been a monk in Thailand for a number of years. And so he, he would tell a lot of stories about his time as a monk in Thailand. And I realized, yeah, like a Buddhist monk in the Theravada Buddhist tradition in Thailand is that's the way of life I've been looking for for the past two, three years. And so I um, made the decision to, to come to Thailand. And um, so I arrived in, in Thailand in 
late 1978 and uh, was fortunate enough to be accepted as a student of one of the great masters of one forest tradition in northeast Thailand, Ajahn Chah. And I've been here ever since, since late 78. So what, 30, 36 years now. So, potted biography. Anything else? Yeah. Just having a um, not really, no. Um, I guess that's just a kind of a polite way of putting it. Um, but it's pretty tough, you know. In those days, um, it's more: can you stick it? You know, really. That's you know, you have a a long, quite a long period just wearing white and preparing to ordain, where you know you really have to prove that you can adapt to the to the life. Because in those days, um, I mean, the climate, I don't know if you've been up to the northeast of Thailand, but it's its very hot and sticky. And, um, you know, we don't know, uh, no electricity. It's a very, very hot and uncomfortable lot of the year. And, uh, we're, you know, say, you know, you're up for nearly 20 hours a day and uh, eating one meal a day. And sometimes uh, it's not just meditating. Some periods we're doing really hard physical labor for many hours a day. And um, it's not just learning Buddhism. You're, you're having to adapt a whole new culture, a whole new language. And um, so you, you really have to be very committed to, to, to stick it out. A lot of people come very idealistic about monk's life and um, leave before very long. So, um, so for me, I, I never wanted to do anything else. So I'm, I was always very happy. Um, but I don't know if you, you know this about the, the monastic um, order in Thailand, but it's not like a Christian order where you take like a lifetime vow. Um, it's completely open-ended. So you can leave at any time. And and in fact, there's like maybe perhaps 300,000 monks in Thailand. Um, and probably only, I would think, 5 or 10% would be monks all their life. Many would be for a short period of time, a month or three months. Um, that's been the tradition in Thailand that a young man would become a monk before he starts his career or be, before he gets married, just as a way of, it's like a rite of passage. And uh, in fact, in the old days, not so true these days, but quite difficult to, to make a good marriage if you've never been a, a monk, because a monk proves, you know, you've got some kind of um, moral integrity and um, you're, a, you're a mature person now. I mean, that's at least the idea. And um, leaving, although um, becoming a monk, ordaining a monk is, is a little bit more complex, leaving um, doesn't even re uh, require a ceremony. Um, all it would require is you to tell one other person, it could be anybody, that's it, I've had enough, or I don't want to be a monk anymore. And you would no longer be a monk after. You couldn't change your mind afterwards. That's it, you know. So it's easy to leave, and there's no kind of stigma against it, and it's not kind of humiliating, or um, you know, people wouldn't look down upon you in any way. So it, it does mean that that kind of open-ended 
form means you you have to make a a commitment you know every day really unless you make a private vow for yourself you're going to spend for so long as a monk um, How about the role of women in, in Hinduism? Do that only every three months? And... Yes, uh, um, well, it's a bit of a um, big, big question. The, there was, in the Buddhist time, um, a nun's order, a bhikkhuni. These monks are called bhikkhus, and there was a bhikkhuni order. And that, um, I mean, it was quite, I mean, as organizations or uh, go I mean it was very successful it lasted for a thousand years um, but then it died out and so by the time Buddhism came to Southeast Asia um, only the monks order remained so in in uh, Southeast Asia um, the the monks um, tended to create like quasi or, or semi-nun organizations, not um, nuns in the original form from the time of the Buddha, but uh, an, like a new um, a new form. And in Thailand, they're called the Mechi, and they wear white color. You may, you may have seen them. Um, unfortunately, for a long time, the, the Mechi order wasn't really, uh, even to this day, it's true to a certain extent, not given the same respect as the monk's order. But I I would say in the past 10, 15 years, that's changing a lot now. There are a lot more, um, there are Mechi colleges and Mechis with, uh, who are very well educated in Buddhist teachings um, uh, have grown, the number of them has grown, um, say exponentially, I would say. There are also many small uh, Mechi um, nunneries um, in quiet places in the countryside where the nuns um, are more intent on on meditation but there are there are a lot of nuns around but they tend to lead a lot more quiet life there is um, a growing international movement to revive the original bhikkhuni order and there are some bhikkhuni communities uh, in Thailand. The largest one is in Chiang Mai. Um, the, the problem with that from the monk's point of view is that the, um, the monk's discipline or the, 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 dis- the Vinaya text, the uh, original um, allowance for, made by the Buddha, um, has certain conditions which make it impossible for the um, original ordination ceremony to be performed. I won't go into this too much technical detail. And so as this as this tradition is um, very conservative tradition, that's its kind of identity as, you know, we're the, the conservative uh, Buddhist tradition. Um, the senior monks have never wanted to override that because it's like a huge taboo to, to disregard or override something that, that's considered to be um, the Buddha's own words. And so there's always been, as I say, this effort to create something as good as possible um, without breaking that taboo. Um, but there are, say, a growing number of women throughout the world who feel that, that that's not a valid argument anymore um, and that um, the, uh, the Bhikkhuni order should be revived. 
So it's it's um, point of some controversy uh, in in Buddhist groups. What I would say um, in Thailand, generally from my observation, and and I think if you've been in any um, Muslim countries, for instance, um, in this part of the world, that the status of women generally is probably as high um, as anywhere you can find, and women. Um, the the percentage of women in management positions in Thailand is um, is the highest in the world anywhere, including the Western world. And generally, when there is a woman who um, has some spiritual attainment and is looked up to and revered for the purity of their practice, then you you very commonly find have many male disciples who. Have no problem at all about bowing and, 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 and showing respect in the same way that people do towards monks. So, so there isn't this, although there is, I say, injustice and say unfairness in many ways, underlying that, the, the opti- you know, the, the, the good point is there isn't this underlying idea that women are second class citizens or that women are spiritually inferior, um, to, to men. It's more than just the, the social um, pressures and things and historical um, causes, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, one more point is that uh, monasteries uh, throughout Thailand, and including the one where I lived many years, um, almost all have um, uh, a section in which any lay laywoman like yourself or anyone can go and practice and meditate free for as long as they like and uh, can receive teachings from the teacher. Um, so there is access to the teachings. It's just in the formal structure that there's still a, a weakness there. Right. There yeah. two questions from my side. The third thing is, is there something like um, a main book? Yeah, that's that's a, a good point. Um, I, I, I'd like to um, make a distinction between religions, okay? So I, I would characterize the religions that grew up in the Middle East um, as a family. Um, so you have the family of uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So they, they share some of the same holy books, um, but also the idea of what a religion is, um, is common to them. The idea that religion is basically a belief system. And so each religion has its holy book. And it was like the Torah, Talmud, the, the, the Bible, the Quran. And, um, your identity as a Muslim, as a Christian, as a, is based upon your willingness to, um, believe in the dogmas that are in that book. So you have Christian dogmas, Muslim, Islamic dogmas, and, and if you can't believe those things, you can't believe that Jesus was the son of God and he died on the cross, you can't be a Christian, basically. Um, so, the the important thing to understand is that the religions that grew up in India um, are a different family or a different species of religion, if you like. Um, and whereas I characterize the Middle Eastern religions as 
um, belief systems, Buddhism is essentially an education system. So it's a very different idea of what a religion is. Um, and if you look at any of the, the texts, the Buddha's words, the, the whole feeling of them, the, it, it's so different from what you could get up by, by, by looking through uh, the Bible or the Quran and so on. So you, you, you find um, texts which you would um, assume to be, you would generally find in a psychology textbook. Uh, or a philosoph book of philosophy, and you, you wouldn't um, uh, equate it with a religious text that you were familiar with. So the um, that that being said, the the teachings of the Buddha were collected after his death, and there are um, a whole. Uh, five different actually collections of his teachings which are um, gathered together according to different criteria. There's one collection of all his very long talks, one talk, one collection of his middle length talks, and then another collection based upon subject matter, and another collection which is based upon sort of mnemonic uh, device used in those times where the Buddha will often base his talks on two of this and three of this and four of that. So you have a book of twos and a book of threes and a book of fours and a book of fives. And then you have miscellaneous. So altogether, that's, I don't know, many tens of times longer than the Bible. I don't know, maybe 50 times longer than the Bible. Um, but it's not like a, you know something that you're meant to read and memorize and, and is an object of faith. Um, but the, the teachings are, are like tools to be used in this education process. So the, this education or cultivation um, can be divided into four main areas. Uh, firstly, the relation of the human being to the material world. So that would start off in how you, how you relate to your physical body in terms of physical health, nutrition, exercise, so on and so forth. Then your relationship to the world um, that you have an immediate impact on uh, how you relate to these days to technology, to money, to your your possessions, to your house, to your car, to your whatever it is, and then spreading out from that your relationship to the the environment. So it's a training and education of your relationship to the material world. The second is your relationship to the social world, how you relate to your family, to your friends, to your colleagues, to the society in which you live in. And the third is the, so those are two external forms of education. The two internal forms, first the training of the heart. Um, so um, learning how to identify and to deal with negative mental states, um, such as greed and hatred and jealousy and depression and anxiety and so on and so forth. Um, and how to cultivate positive mental states, um, such as uh, kindness, compassion, mindfulness, inner peace, um, and so on. And then the fourth area is the area development of wisdom and understanding. Um, so these four areas, uh, two external, two internal, form like a, a comprehensive or holistic system. There's not like a step-by-step -step process. All four have to be um, conducted um, simultaneously. Um, so this um, 
And this overall um, structure is is what I've been using um, to uh, in in efforts to create a, a Buddhist education system. Um, and uh, in these schools that I'm involved in, and the school just over the road, that's kind of uh, in which all the normal um, ta- subjects are taught, but it's within this sort of overarching framework of an overall um, cultivation of the external and internal world of the child and the teachers and the parents, because they all have to go together. Yeah. Sorry, there was a second question. Uh, the second question would be, um, which is kind of referring to what we were talking about, like also connected with this work of enlightenment mm. and, and meditation, mm. like connected with this, like how did you get yourself into this? Was it kind of problem for you, like to focus your thoughts, like meditation? Oh, of course. Like, forget your thoughts. How did you make it? And like how like, was this process of enlightenment for you? The stages of that dimension. Um, well. First of all, one, one of the um, important rules of a Buddhist monk is he, he's not allowed to discuss his internal um, development with, with someone who's, no, it's not a problem. Just it's kind of interesting because the Buddha didn't want people's focus to be on individual monks. Um, meditation, uh, practice, um, first of all, point has to be made that um, for it to be an authentically Buddhist meditation practice, it has to be embedded in that whole um, cultivation. It's if you just abstract a certain technique um, and use it outside of that context, um, then you'll get maybe um, like a, a, a stress reduction technique, and it'll have certain um, beneficial effects of quality of life and so on. But it doesn't have that liberating, transformative. Um, effect that it would have when it's embedded in this whole education system. Um, so basically meditation um, techniques um, all start off with the idea of, of uh, increasing attention span um, and being able to be present to your experience. And it's difficult for everybody because when you try to focus your mind, you realize just how unfocused it is, and you realize just to what extent the world we live in um, is pulling you out. Um, there's so many things which are um, trying to distract you, or so many interesting things, and they're, and they're at your fingertips now in a way that's never been in the past. Um, so it's, it's, to use the traditional simile, it's going against the stream. Um, so if you take, um, you know, we know now that you can, uh, anybody knows you can watch a movie or, or something two hours, three hours, and you can sit completely still and watch it. But um, there, you know, you're not making any real effort. You know, the, it's something that's pulling you towards it. So it's very passive. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the brain waves of someone watching TV or, you know, very almost identical to someone who's um, under hy- hypnosis. So we're in a sort of, sort of semi-hypnotic kind of state a lot of the time in our life. So Buddhist practice is an awakening practice. So you take as an object something which is not exciting, not interesting in any way, like the sensation of your breath. It can be neutral. 
but it's always there. It's always accessible. And so for you to be able to sustain attention on that, it has to come from you. There's nothing coming from the breath that's going to pull you and, and entice you and encourage you to stay there. So you're, you're developing this inner um, effort um, to sustain attention. Now, the the mistaken kind of idea about this, this meditation is kind of really difficult thing, but if you just keep struggling, then you have the reward. You know, you get peace at the other end or some kind of goal of enlightenment. Um, but that's a very frustrating way of looking at it. It's not a correct way. It's it's the process itself that you, you have to be, have this interest in because what you're doing by um, attempting to sustain attention on a neutral object is you're revealing all of the things that go on in your head that prevent you from doing that. You know, it, it's like, you know, if you have any kind of theory, you learn a theory, but then it's when you're out in the field and you try to put that into practice that you realize how much you've really learned, how much you've mastered what you've learned as theory. Um, and similarly, you only really know what's going on in your mind uh, when you give the mind a job to do to sustain attention and then you begin to under, you begin to observe the, the extent to which the mind is grasping at present phenomena if you don't have something right out there right now you grasp at memories or imagination or fantasy as a way just to sort of entertain you for the time being or else the mind uh, develops aversions and um, dislikes and and it's quite uh, sobering and shocking to the extent to which these things become clear when you put your mind on the spot. Many people think, oh, yeah, I'm a very good, easygoing person. I don't get angry with anybody. You st when you start to meditate, you find all this kind of stuff coming up from the subconscious. You can get really uh, upset about how someone sitting next to you, how he sits, how he sits down, how he gets up, how he sneezes, how he coughs, and or you get very angry at yourself because you can't do this the way you'd like to be able to do it. So you begin to see aversion in all of its many guises from very coarse kind of anger all to, to very subtle kinds of dislike and moving away from phenomena uh, manifesting because you've given the mind uh, work to do. And then there's the agitation, what we call the monkey mind, and then there's the depressed mind when you don't have a certain level of stimulus that you're used to. Most people start to fall asleep. And this is, you know, almost all meditators go through this after a while. After you work through all the difficulty of the, you know, all the confusion and you think getting somewhere and then you start falling asleep because you, you, you've never developed that ability to be present and awake, um, at a time when there's nothing stimulating you to be awake. Uh, you see this on planes or anywhere, you know, when you've, you, you, you've had your meal, you're fed up with your book, you watch the movie, everybody falls asleep. Or, you know, this is the kind of, um, default movement when there's nothing interesting going on. And, and that's something that you reveal through meditation. So to begin with, it, yeah, it's tough. I mean, in, in sense of can you sustain attention for a long, no, it takes a long time, even years. But you learn, you're learning about the mind, the mind, the way the mind works, the way the body conditions the mind, the way the mind conditions the body, the way different mental states, different ways of thinking, different attitudes, um, 
uh, condition other mental states, other attitudes, how to fashion, how to um, intervene in that um, in a creative way. So it's a whole mental culture that, that you're learning. Um, so it's very difficult, but in the long run, it's, it's really um, fulfilling. And um, it's like once you, once you start, you know, it's like once you've seen something, once you've seen your mind, you know, I, I don't see how you can stop then, you know, because, you know, when you realize the amount of work that's needed to be done and, you know, you've got to do it. Yes, I, I had the feeling I've got to do this sooner or later, better sooner than later. Yeah. So I, um, I'm going to have to um, end the session now. I'm afraid. Um, one reason, because I have a, a very important engagement in in Bangkok this afternoon, but also um, the one of the rules of the monk is we have to finish any meal before twelve midday. So um, as I say, I usually eat, eat a lot earlier than this, but I have a late. A meal um, on these Sundays, but I have to um, have it all over and done by by twelve. So, and I have a few more people to see downstairs. So, um, I think that would probably. Uh, there are some some books um, there. If anybody would like to take a book with them, then you're free. They're they're for free distribution. <laughs>